This episode is brought to you by Chapman University. From climate science to patient safety, genomics to drug design, Chapman University data scientists are turning massive information sets into life-changing impact. The future is unfolding in Chapman's Schmidt College of Science and Technology. Here, masters and PhD students join in cutting-edge research as they prepare to take the next big leap in their professional journey. To learn more about the innovative tools and collaborative approach that distinguish the Chapman program in computational and data sciences, visit chapman.edu slash data science. That's chapman.edu slash data science. All right, let's do this. How are you data scientists and engineers? How are you business people? What's up nerds? Did you grasp that thing you were studying? This is Data Science at Home, the podcast about machine learning, artificial intelligence, and more good stuff. I am Francesco. I'll be your host for the next 30 minutes. So grab a cup of coffee and join me as we learn more about the topics we love most. Welcome back indeed. I am uh, very glad to start another episode about uh, Rust. It's not a mystery anymore that uh, I am uh, so much in love with Rust and uh, I'm trying to replace whenever I can you know, all the Python-based uh, engines and, uh, and uh, code that I've written so far. Um, of course, when I have the time and when I have the, uh, the opportunity, and the particular use case, I always encourage myself into migrating into uh, into Rust and so rewriting some of the code that I wrote in the years um, as a you know in 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 this new language, which is definitely impressing me uh, every day I use it. So well, today we are going to speak about something that the folks of this episode definitely do on a daily basis, which is data manipulation. And um, by data manipulation, I mean probably the number one library that everybody's using out there, which is Pandas. And so Pandas is the, you know, some kind of the de facto standard of uh, data manipulation in, um, in the community used by the industry, used by, you know, in our personal projects. Pandas is the way to go when you want to, for example, import a, a CSV file or uh, you can even read directly from S3 bucket in Amazon or wherever your data, raw data is. Uh, you can import these things into an internal representation that is the, the representation of pandas that is essentially putting stuff in memory. It exposes an API that is essentially a way to manipulate the internal representation of your data frame. And so you can start slicing things, you can start selecting records or rows selecting columns, changing values, joining, merging, mutating stuff, grouping by, all this stuff. We know how it works. We know how comfortable Pandas is. And it is a very nice piece of software. I mean, I uh, I grew up on Pandas and uh, probably, uh, I hopefully will not die on Pandas because there are many other ways of doing the same things. And of course, there is a little higher price to pay uh, sometimes, but the uh, results and uh, the performance that you bring home can be really astonishing. And so today in this episode, I would like to make a direct comparison between Pandas and Rust because there are some benchmarks and some source code that allows you to do exactly the same on this, exactly the same benchmark data. In particular, I will be referring to 
a data frame of 160,000 lines, so rows, and 130 columns. So it's a pretty large, though not very large, data frame of about 150 megabytes. This size has been chosen because uh, there is a, a post that I definitely report in the show notes of this episode that it has really intrigued me about this direct performance uh, evaluation between Pandas and Rust. And so I will try to draw some conclusion out of this experiment, uh, what is good and when, uh, and why you probably should or would like to spend a bit more time learning Rust or definitely getting closer to it. So what is Pandas? Pandas, as I said, is the de facto standard for reading and manipulating files uh, or data in general. With this example, I will go with the CSV, which is probably the most common data format out there, though not the the best in terms of um, uh, efficiency or performance. It's not a binary, remember, so uh, computers are much better with binary stuff than, than text. But anyway, the CSV is recognized format everywhere and so let's go with that well the first thing that you would like to do when you know before manipulating data of course is loading data this is something that we are all familiar with uh, the read csv is one command from pandas no big deal there one line of code provide the path where the csv file is and you're good to go what you have is the handle to a data frame so-called pandas data frame that allows you to you know start working on the manipulation part when it comes to rust of course there is much more code to write though there are crates that already provide you and you know it's an easy job there is the csv crate uh, which is very well written though it's a bit more complex than uh, than the simple read csv from pandas due to the fact that you are going low level here so with Rust, uh, if you haven't listened to the previous episodes on this show, Rust is a low-level language, all right? It's not garbage collected. You have to take care of everything. Um, if you want speed, uh, if you want to drive a Ferrari, you know, you have to know how the engine works. And especially if you want to push that Ferrari to its limit, you have to know how the internals of that car work because you have to inform your engineers that, that something is not going well or you can exploit some of the hardware capabilities of your Ferrari so that you can uh, improve uh, and increase the speed, right? So that's exactly the same concept with Rust. You are low level, you are right in front of your machine like the hardware stuff and so you can optimize your code as fast as your hardware allows. Rust and manipulating data can be kind of an overshoot. It was a few years ago. Now that these crates are out and they are becoming more and more mature, is becoming, I'm not saying a piece of cake, but you know, a less bitter pill <laughs> to swallow. So there is this crate CSV, uh, CSV reader. In the show notes of this episode, I will report all the links of the crates that I'm going to uh, speak about. So you load your data, what you get is a file descriptor, and then the file descriptor is passed to this crate and the crate returns a, a handle to um, you know, a, a bunch of memory. <laughs> it's not really a data frame yet. It's just a chunk in memory where your data is, right? So that's what Rust leaves you. Now, what happens next is that you have to 
do something that essentially all computers do, Python too, they just don't tell you, uh, you know, they hide all that stuff behind one command, but don't think that, you know, in Rust, we are, we are supposed to do more things than, than Python. It's exactly the same, in fact. What I'm talking about is the serializer deserializer that takes that chunk of memory uh, slash raw data and starts formatting these things into, uh, you know, these bytes into something more structured. For example, the 130 columns that we mentioned and, uh, you know, each column has its own data type. There are strings, there might be integers, floats, and so on and so forth, right? So that's exactly what the serializer, in fact, the deserializer does. Now in Rust, there is a crate that I've been um, discussing about in another episode about the data model in Rust that heavily uses uh, CERD, um, which stands for serializer deserializer. And that's probably one of the most used crates in the, in the Rust community uh, or in the Rust ecosystem, in fact, because you serialize and deserialize stuff almost all the time when it comes to algorithms. So what CIRD does is uh, essentially unpacking or structuring all these, you know, spaghetti bytes in memory into something more structured. And so what you have to do is definitely defining how would you like your bytes to look like, right? And so, for example, I would like to uh, look at my data frame in a much more ordered way, which is, in this case, 130 columns. Every column has its own type. Um, and so I would like my data to be structured like that. Now, what you usually do with CERDI is defining this schema, right, as a struct, which can be done manually if, for example, the number of columns is, you know, approachable. If you have a dozen columns, still okay. If you have 100 columns, you know, defining the fields of this structure, you know, manually, it's going to take, it's going to be time consuming error-prone operation, you don't want to do that. And so that's why there is another way to generate these things automatically. And so essentially parsing your records and um, generating the schema by parsing the records, uh, record by record, right? And so essentially what you want to do is uh, scan your data and uh, parsing values. If you find an integer, you generate a, a field that is of type integer. If you find a float, you just parse. And if the parsing succeeds, you generate a string that uh, tells that in the schema there should be a float. And otherwise, you generate a, um, a field that uh, defines a string for that particular column. So in fact, you generate the schema uh, in a very simplistic way. But you know, it, it works. Um, when you have a, a lot of columns, you can just scan your data and parse things and generate data types uh, as you parse them, right? Now, in Rust, there is one particular keyword that allows you to parse things optionally. So you might be parsing stuff that, you know, it's an integer, but it could also be that there's nothing in there. And so, you know, nothing is not an integer. So you want to parse something that is called option integer, right? And like in English, you know, you say it's an optional, um, it's not strictly there, can be there. If it's there, it's an integer. If it's not there, it's probably an error. And that's exactly what you do in a, in a scan. So complexity there, linear with the number of rows o of n, where n is the number of rows. Still, everything is under control. 
Now let's move to uh, the next step when you have your schema, you have deserialized your uh, spaghetti bytes in memory and uh, you have everything. I, I should not call this spaghetti. I should just call it bytes, you know. <laughs> uh, some computer scientists out there might be offended if I keep saying uh, spaghetti bytes, but you get my point. Uh, something that is not structured and becomes structured because you enforce a schema uh, on top of that, right? Okay, so the first operation I'm going to discuss is the filtering. So the filtering is what in, um, in pandas we call it slicing. Right? So you want to select, for example, a particular column of your data frame and of that column you would like to select, for example, only certain values. Right? And so you can slice your data frame and uh, select only the rows where a certain column has a value or selecting only certain columns and so on and so forth. So it's like it's a simple slicing. Now to do this in Rust, of course, it is possible after you have deserialized your data. And uh, what you do is something very, very similar to what you do with Python, just that, you know, it's a change of syntax, of course, a bit more uh, lines that you have to write, nothing amazing here, and uh, nothing amazingly different. But when it comes to performance, um, 160,000 records and 131 columns uh, are processed with pandas, again, same slicing and same values, Pandas takes three seconds, Rust takes 1.6 seconds, so 50% speed up. Uh, so that's impressive already. You know, we just changed language and you are going low level, we are getting rid of the Python virtual machine, we are going straight to the memory and uh, deserializing there and slicing. That's it. Memory usage. Pandas is quite inefficient when it comes to memory usage. It uses up to 2.5 gigabyte. Uh, now, the file is much, much smaller, but when you put things in memory, things start to blow up because, you know, the internal representation depends pretty much on how the author of that library decided to represent that data internally. Not only that, much of the data is copied for several reasons that I'm not, uh, I'm not expanding on here. But long story short, Pandas requires 2.5 gigabyte of memory, while Rust requires... 1.7 gigabyte. So it's another 30% of uh, cutting the costs of memory usage, which is impressive. You know, it's just one line of code in a different language and gives you already this, this improvement. Now, where things get relatively nasty is on um, uh, other operations, for example, group by. So group by is one of those operations that are uh, are very well known in the literature. There has been a lot of uh, algorithms uh, out there that have been designed for facilitating group by on the same machine or having group by on in a decentralized fashion or distributed fashion. And that's where, you know, the, the smartest algorithm starts making a difference. But in this case, we're gonna refer to a standalone machine, probably one core, single-threaded application, uh, so no big deal there. The comparison is really on on bare metal, right? So in uh, in pandas, when you want to group by, well, okay, the syntax of pandas is amazingly short. You take the data frame, you call the group by, you define the column on on which you want to group by, and then you provide also other columns where 
you are defining a, an aggregation. So you say, I want to group by column one and uh, I want to sum column two and uh, make uh, an average on column three and uh, report only the counts of column four, right? So for all the other columns that are under the group by, you want to provide a, an aggregation method, right? And you can do this in uh, two lines of code, maybe one if you are lucky, <laughs> if you don't have a lot of columns to, to aggregate on. In Rust, this becomes a nightmare. So of course I cannot do code on a podcast, but believe me, in the show notes of this episode, you will find the code to these uh, things I'm, I'm talking about. And when you compare Pandas group by and Rust group by, you're gonna be shocked <laughs> because indeed uh, the the syntax of Rust for a group by, um, you know, and the, what you need to do to prepare that group by operation are uh, a really time consuming and uh, definitely prone to error. And you probably, if you're not familiar with Rust syntax, you're probably gonna need a, a couple of hours to do this. But once you do these things, you know, there is a, these are patterns, right? These are operations that are very much recurrent in, in, in computer science, in all the algorithms that you write, be it a, a regular data frame manipulation, be it a, a database engine or whatever, a group by is a function that you would like to add to your arsenal, uh, you know, code arsenal. <laughs> and so next time you're gonna need a group by, of course, you don't have to re-implement it from scratch. You have it there, you change some parameters, you change column names and stuff like that, and they're good to go. So don't get frustrated when you see, uh, you know, group by takes more than 20 lines of code in Rust and just one in Pandas, because these things can be reused and that's exactly the, the purpose. But let's speak about performance. Pandas takes uh, almost three seconds, 2.8 seconds. Rust takes two seconds. So there is a, a bit more than 30% uh, improvement in terms of time. And uh, as per the memory requirement or memory usage, uh, we have exactly the same as before, 2.5 gigs for Pandas and 1.7 for Rust. This depends pretty much on how Pandas and Rust represent data frames or well data in this case in memory. Okay, so that's just a way that the compiler decides how to align bytes in memory and what Pandas, or well, the author of Pandas library uh, decided to do. With that respect, we have, I would say overall a 30% improvement both on time and uh, memory requirement, memory usage. I think it's also very, very interesting. 30% uh, folks, is something that is already impressive in terms of performance. If you are dealing with production systems, observing a 5% or 10% improvement is already a big deal, especially when the system has been already kind of optimized. Having an, a speed up of 30% is impressive just by changing uh, language. You're not changing architecture, you're not changing hardware, you're not changing platform. It's just a matter of hiring another developer. That's it. Now, where things become really, really interesting is on uh, in-place editing. So when uh, in Pandas want to, uh, when you want to change values in place, so you have your data frame, you perform a certain operation on each element of your data frame, and then you would like to write that result back to the same data frame, right? I, I believe this has happened to you a number of times already. And so you want to uh, 
uh, essentially use the same data frame as an input and an output at the same time, right? So in place is something that I personally try to avoid as much as I can. And also many of the big data engines out there try to avoid as much as they can because when it comes to, for example, concurrency, in-place editing can be dangerous because it can leave different parts of your code that access the same data in an inconsistent state because, you know, depending on who reads first and then you add it in place and then, you know, the next owner of that particular data frame will read something that the other owners uh, didn't read or, have, or haven't read yet. So, you know, there are you have to control these inconsistencies via... Uh, you know, mutex or guards. We, we have to go into the uh, discussion of uh, concurrency and parallelism. That's not the day, but that's what we are used to do in, uh, in Pandas. When you want to do this in Rust, again, there's a bit more code to write, uh, not so much this time. Um, I would say it's not a design pattern, but it's something that definitely can be reused over and over again, like before. But when you hear about the performance, well, that's when things become really, really different now. Because Pandas takes something like 13 seconds and Rust takes less than 2 seconds. So it's almost 90% speed up. 90% speed up. That's impressive. And when it comes to memory usage, Pandas requires almost 5 gigabytes and Rust requires almost 2 gigabytes. So it's more than 60% improvement or less memory, uh, less memory usage for Rust. So this is, you know, something that is really interesting and uh, really to, to keep an eye on. We all knew that pandas do not scale for certain operations. In uh, this particular experiment, we can see that pandas cannot scale for, uh, for example, line-by-line -line, uh, lambda functions that are not custom-built. So in pandas, there is a way to apply lambda function to each element of the, of the data frame or the column. And when these lambda are primitives, usually these things are optimized uh, because they've been implemented in, uh, you know, they have a backend in C, uh, and so it's fine. You know, you use Python just as a wrapper, as a language that calls a, a, a backend written probably in C. So on large data, uh, you don't feel the difference because, you know, except for the initial time spent in using uh, Python and uh, uh, using the Python bytecode and then calling the, the C implemented backend, that delay uh, will be spread over uh, the fact that the data is pretty large. And so you do that call once and you enjoy the speed of the C engine for the rest of your data. But in this case, we don't have a primitive function. We have a custom function. So the lambda that we are applying to each element is custom, is defined by the user, and which means that it's pure Python. Now, if you try to run pure Python code on each element of your, of your data frame, on millions of cells, for example, well, then you are in danger <laughs> because that's exactly where, this is exactly where the performance is, is, is leaving you. And so that's why uh, the difference here is massive. 13 seconds versus less than two, five gigabytes of memory versus less than two uh, is something that you really uh, have to keep an eye on because these are the type of numbers that uh, allow you to, well, in fact, force you to think about Rust or a low-level implementation, especially when you are dealing with, for example, uh, edge devices, very limited hardware devices, uh, or even 
mobile phones or devices that cannot dissipate too much energy or simply do not have so much memory and uh, and you still would like to have those computations uh, performed on the device rather than on a centralized server so you know rust is not only providing better performance but in this particular case is allowing you to continue with your project or not so these are the cases where in my opinion rust is unbeatable as he was when you know when java came out there were problems that java could not solve uh, in many uh, of these critical situations the last operation i'm going to discuss today is the merge operation so merging two data frames also this is something that we have been doing in pandas over and over again you have two data frames you define the column on the first data frame a column on the second data frame and you ask pandas to merge them on the left column and the right column so you want to merge the two data frames and have at the end a bigger data frame where the the two you know the two common columns or the columns you are merging on become one and you know that's the stitching part of the two data frames right how many times have been doing this loads now can we do that in rust sure we can again this is another nightmare <laughs> because the the amount of code that you have to write to perform this merge can be tough um, to be honest with you it took me some time to understand what uh, what that code was doing so yes it's definitely I have to be honest here uh, it's a very it's very much time consuming but again in a, a fair comparison we got uh, very similar results to what we had for the uh, in place editing the usual performance pandas 23 seconds rust uh, a bit less than six seconds memory uh, 12 gigabytes for pandas versus uh, 2.6 gigabyte for rust so again 75% and 78% improvement on time and memory usage so here you have to understand that okay at the beginning if you are new to rust it's gonna take you a while to write that code but as you get more and more familiar with rust you know you're supposed to take much less time developing these you know patterns that are very recurrent in your projects and you can reuse them over and over again but the time that you spend to uh, write low-level code in a i would say much tougher syntax than python it's time that you save while your algorithm is running right in this particular case i'm not saying that you're writing code in 13 seconds but that's what the speed up that you have on a, a simple 150,000 record file uh, now if you're dealing with millions of transactions think about a bank this can take hours right if you're trying to merge stuff that goes over the gigabyte in in terms of disk space uh, well this can take hours or can just become prohibitive if you instead of merging on two columns you start merging on multiple columns or instead of uh, having an in-place uh, replacement with uh, a simple algebraic operation you have uh, a, a very nasty mathematical formula that takes a while to calculate right these are situations in which coding time can definitely be balanced back with uh, execution time uh, of course you have to analyze your particular use case and that's why you know if i want to conclude this episode uh, i would say go with pandas when it comes to relatively small data sets 
So when you are below, for example, 500,000 lines or records, I would go with Pandas. I would not even think of uh, uh, of using Rust or leveraging Rust power for, for, for such things. Unless, of course, my project is written in, in Rust. It's natively designed with Rust in mind. Uh, all the other components are Rust. I'm, I'm obliged to. Uh, but that's that's another use case you know that's the case in which you don't really have a choice uh, in terms of language that you have to use but in all other cases when you are experimenting there is a limit where you want to you know use a rifle or a cannon <laughs> it depends on your particular uh, on the size of your data and the particular scenario i would use rust when i have really complex operations when i have a lot of memory constraints when I have functions that I have designed myself, they are not primitive functions. And especially when I want software that scales, which means that there are multiple owners accessing, for example, data, the same data. And so I might be running into race conditions. I might be running into locking mechanism that slow down my entire pipeline because there are multiple owners or, or multiple consumers of the data that I'm sharing across. So, you know, there are these particular situations where Rust is designed for, and so you, you know, that's a no-brainer. But in all other cases, I would say the right answer is always in the middle. I've seen already a number of times converting, you know, loading data frames uh, from Pandas, doing the transformations that you need to do, the stuff that Pandas is good at. For example, Pandas is good at MapReduce operations. And then store these intermediate representations after the transformation to disk or as an array or as a chunk of raw data. And then you load these things from Rust and you continue your pipeline uh, with Rust. You know? So you take kind of the best of both worlds. And so you, uh, you use Pandas as long as Pandas is performing. And then when it's time to switch, you make that switch. And, um, and, you know, the fact that Pandas is very well, is, is much more mature when it comes to, for example, loading different formats. Rust is not yet there. It will be there, I'm sure. But um, for the time being, of course, in the Rust community, there are many other priorities rather than, uh, you know, manipulating data the Pandas way. But of course, we are all welcome to contribute to the uh, Rust ecosystem and provide some of the tools that we use on a daily basis. So that's something that I definitely would like to see. If I have some time, I would contribute myself, uh, of course. Um, and I will also provide in the show notes of this episode some of the tools that are more you know, usable for a data scientist, for a, a machine learning practitioner. So there are some crates that are really interesting and to keep an eye on. So to conclude, when you change from uh, a very well-known library like Pandas to Rust, you might be expecting speedups that go from two times to 50 times improvement. And so that's something that, as I said before, is something that you have to really consider when it comes to projects that are uh, living on the edge, so-called uh, edge devices, for example, or minimal hardware and stuff like that. That's it for today. I hope you enjoyed the show. And uh, of course, I would love to see you on our Discord channel. You will find the link in the show notes of this episode at the official website, datascienceathome.com. See you there. You've been listening to Data Science at Home Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or Podbean to get new, fresh episodes. For more, please follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, or visit our website at datascienceathome.com.